1: Friends, I am Vivian McPeak and this is Hemp present. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hemp present, email me at hempresent at gmail.com. I greatly enjoy hearing from you, the listener. Nikki Lestretto was born in the right place at the right time to be a flower child in the 60s. After years of being the ultimate city girl, working at the San Francisco Chronicle and Cron TV, Nikki dropped out and traveled the world, living primarily in India. After several years, she returned to San Francisco, soon making her way north to the hills of Mendocino County. Now, as the founder of Swami Select, she fosters the growth of sustainable, lab-tested craft cannabis that is cultivated in living soil using regenerative organic methods. And, called the Swami of Pot by Rolling Stone magazine, Swami Chaitanya is a radical human being, having started life as an East Coast academic and now an Emerald Triangle homesteader in his 70s, Swami has helped shape both cannabis culture and policy over the years, making the transition himself from a rebellious outlaw to a respected thought leader in a multi-billion dollar industry. A self-described original hippie, Swami moved to San Francisco in 1967. From there, he traveled the world, living in South America, Europe, and India for many years before settling in Northern California's Mendocino County in the heart of the Emerald Triangle. Also, a well-known figure in the music festival scene, Swami speaks and teaches publicly on meditation, spirituality, and more, and they both have a column at Skunk Magazine, where I'm the managing editor. I'm thrilled to have them in the virtual hemp present studio today to tell us about their amazing stories. Welcome, Nikki and Swami, to Cannabis Radio. Oh,
2: thank you, Vivian. Yeah, thanks for having us on the show. It's an honor. Oh, it's my pleasure, and <laughs> we finally got here. Um,
1: <laughs> I really identify with your history as an old traditional California hippie myself, and I have followed your exploits for some time. You're both well-respected fixtures in California's craft cannabis community. Um, Let's just begin with you both telling us about your first introductions to cannabis. How and when did you each first begin your dance with the world's most resourceful plant?
3: Oh, Okay, I'll start on that one. I was... um... Fourteen years old in San Francisco, so that would have been nineteen sixty nine. I, I was just a little too young to be there in sixty seven, but by sixty nine I was old enough. And it was a neighbor boy that had a garage band, and we were sitting in his garage listening to some mediocre rock and roll, and he pulled out a joint, and the rest is history. Um, the you know that first time was really quite uh, opened up my mind. My basically was at a point in my life where I was deciding whether I wanted to become a nun seriously i'd gone to catholic school all my life and i'm thinking oh i'd make a good nun and then i thought oh maybe i'd make a better hippie well you can (laughs) tell which one went out so um i stuck with the hippie part and here i am today
2: (laughs) yeah well when she was going to be a nun she knew she was going to get nuns so she
3: uh (laughs) 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 that
2: was the uh, era in those days yeah so uh my first uh, experience with cannabis was at the University of Wisconsin. Of course, we didn't call it cannabis back then. And uh, my girlfriend, uh, at the in the in the student ghetto, she had some cannabis, and so uh, we lit it up. And uh, I still have a vivid memory of listening to this wonderful piece of music by a composer named Alan Hovanis called uh, I believe it's called "Mysterious Mountain," and it's a great symphony. It's just and it just took me up into higher levels. Now, I'd been listening to music, Beethoven, and so on for a long time, but this was a whole other dimension. So that was uh, my introduction to that. And, of course, Madison, Wisconsin University was one of those hotbeds of both political radicalism and, uh, uh, you know, psychedelic and cannabis exploration. So it was a real, uh, you know, breeding ground for all sorts of uh, countercultural awareness. And then I came out, then that same summer of 67, uh, three friends and I drove out to San Francisco uh, in the summer of love and uh, a college friend of mine uh, from back east he had uh, an apartment right uh, two blocks off of Hate Street and so we literally were just hanging out on Hate Street uh, in 67 the summer of love so you yeah, know that was quite uh, yeah so I guess they call that OG or something like that.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, original uh, gongester. You, you, uh, how I pine. How I yeah, pine, right. no, how I pine for those. Like original dankster is what I like to say. You, you,
3: <laughs> yeah. You
1: have a company. Well, now it's called Old yes, 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 exactly. Uh, you have a company, Swami Select, uh, marketed as, quote, in the heart of California's Emerald Triangle, sun, moon, and star-grown swami select cannabis is purposely cultivated in native mendocino soil in your words how would you characterize swami select other than what i just read what makes your brand and products distinctive and what are you most proud of
3: uh well we were really the first brand up here in the emerald triangle we kind of did it on a fluke having just some fun back in back in the days before it was legal um but why not you know i took a great picture of swami we put it on a t-shirt and boom it's like like, hey let's call it swami select and it was just kind of really a joke but then um when it came time for us to decide to go legal which we did decide right away because even though we knew proposition 64 had some issues it was all about the fact that you know people were going to get out of jail and people were going to have access to cannabis that would never have it if it was still illegal mm-hmm. so we were very involved in that and um at that point it was like okay now this brand's going to come in handy so that's it's kind of one of the things that does make us special is that we've had a brand. We've been around for a long time. We do everything as organically as we can get and as pure and everything else. And we also, what makes us unique is our spiritual intention that we put into the plants. So I'll let Swami speak to that more.
2: Yeah, yeah. So what's unique is that we have a brand, but then what's unique about the brand and that is what Nikki just mentioned. Having spent so much time in India, and then we came back here when our, our guru said we had to come back uh, to, to the United States. <clears throat> um, what we decided to do is, you know, actually our, our land is inspired by the goddess that we got initiated with in the temples in South India. And so when we t- start our seeds in the springtime, we have a statue of the goddess of cannabis, Ganjama. And so the seeds sit at the feet of the goddess for about a moon cycle. And uh, I was, uh, uh, I downloaded a, um, a psychic download of the mantra specifically for cannabis. So when we collect the seeds and we decide which ones we're going to grow, as I said, we put them at the foot of the goddess and we do mantras uh, to in- invoke that energy. Then when we actually crack the seeds... We put the seeds in water in little um, tiny little mason jars, each cultivar in a separate jar, and then we take a few drops of water from the sacred Ganges River in India, and we put those drops into the seed uh, with the water, and we again say the blessing and the mantra. <clears throat> so this is the the idea that we're you know. Imbuing and, and and investing into the cannabis a spiritual dimension, which is healing on all levels. It's not just a physical healing and an emotional healing, but it's also a spiritual healing and an inspirational uh, ally for for anyone. So that's kind of the basis of of. Uh, how we, the attitude we put onto the cannabis, and then by growing it here up in the most beautiful nature in Northern California, with all the pure ingredients and regenerative agriculture, living soil, and so on, it comes alive as an expression of the place where it grows, that, you know, that the cannabis is an expression of the place and the intention of those of us who are growing it. So that's what makes it special. That that is that
1: does make it really special. Speaking of Mendocino, it's an unincorporated community uh, in Mendocino County in Northern California. Mendocino has a rich counterculture and artist colony history. Can you both, in your words, briefly touch on the Mendocino cannabis community, both its origins and today? What should people what should people oh, know it's, about, it's a-
3: about it? Yeah, no, this is this is the heart of it up here. Um, it was back in, you know, around 69, 70. A lot of hippies in San Francisco started realizing, you know, the, the wrong drugs were coming into the Haight-Ashbury um, and they just wanted to get out of the city. Now was the time to drop out and move to the country. That's what everyone wanted to do. So a lot of people were looking for cheap land and that's where they found it was up here in Mendocino and Humboldt. It was just far enough away from the city that you could still purchase land for very inexpensively. And it was beautiful land. I don't think they actually knew at that time that it was one of the best places, if not the best place in the world, to grow cannabis. But basically, they moved up here. They were trying you know, to... It was to,
2: back-to-the-land movement. A lot right. of hippies, they just wanted to get out of the city and the land. And then so the cannabis was the, the cash crop for it.
3: And so they, um, they really... This, they kind of figured this out. They didn't, but they didn't figure it out right away. I think they really were at first just growing vegetables and trying to be sustainable. You know, a few seeds fell in the ground and boom, they discovered that, wow, this area, you know, we're like where our ranch is, we're about 20 miles from the ocean, I think it is, but we're up at 2,600 feet altitude. So it's not like we get that fog that they get over on the coast in Mendocino. We're in the inland part, which we like to call the Mendocino Highlands and um up here it's just perfect you know the weather's just cool enough nights warm enough days during the growing season we get a lot of snow actually in the winter time but for outdoor sun grown purposes it's absolutely ideal and um i ended up coming up here in around 1998 i was actually looking for a place to put on big psychedelic trance parties um raves i guess they called them and i used to produce those for It's just a little something I did on the side for fun for the community. And I needed a place to do it. And somebody, a dear friend introduced us to um, Tim Blake, who was a friend of this friend of mine. And so I started coming up here to put on these parties at what later became known as Area 101 in the birthplace of the Emerald Cup. And that's what brought me to Mendo. And Swami was still living in India. When he came back from India, it was like, this is the place. You know, hey, everybody up here, these are our kinds of people. So, well, you, were also, right? you know what, I'm, so I'm, I'm to- sorry,
1: you guys. I, it's my bad. I'm up against a break. Uh, let's roach this segment real quick and fire it up. And <laughs> we'll, con- we'll continue uh, in just a minute. We'll fire up a new one.
3: Got it.
0: Time to roll out for the people that let us present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. We're back with Nikki and Swami. Um, You were talking about Tim Blake and the Emerald Triangle,
1: and I kind of think I know where you're going. So uh tell us more.
3: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So I, I ended up coming up here, putting on parties at Tim Blake's place that wasn't even called Area 101 in the first beginning days. We put on some wild psychedelic trance parties and then... um I ended up working with Tim a little bit and learning how to do some outdoor growing and a lot about the harvest. That was more my specialty, the harvest and the trimming. And then, like I was going to say, Swami came back from India and we ended up finding our own place and it worked out great. Well, I I first
2: came up to San Francisco probably in in the mid 70s because a friend of mine from a commune we had uh, in San Francisco, he got some land up here and he started growing. And I would occasionally come up and help them with harvest and so on. But then there's also uh, the uh, the group called the Hog Farm has a big ranch up here called Black Oak Ranch. And they were an early commune in the hippie days with uh, uh, Wavy Gravy and other people. And they were also very connected with the Grateful Dead and that whole scene. So that commune is still existing. It's still a major uh, activity center. They have festivals there. They, they used to do earth dance and uh uh, what was that other one? The pig the pig neck, the pig neck and so on, and then the Kate Wolf Festival and so on. So that's always been part of it. And of course, there's two parts of Mendo. There's kind of the inner inner highlands that we talk about, and then there's the coast. And the coast has Mendocino Village and that and various other uh towns across there, which has also always been kind of an artist colony as well, with painters and musicians and so on. So it's always had kind of a countercultural place to escape. And get away. And uh, it just was kind of a natural connection with the cannabis brought in, brought in some money to have everything uh, continue.
3: So over the years, it really became cannabis became the heart and soul of Mendocino County. It used to be uh, logging for many, many years. It was all, you know, basically after the gold rush, people moved up here. They wanted to build the Bay Area and they took a lot of trees out from this area that went down to the Bay Area to build. So at a certain point, the logging industry really had to stop just because they were running out of the trees to cut, I guess. And um, it a lot of it switched to cannabis. So there's actually loggers that are now probably cannabis growers that their history used to be logging, but it just it seemed like the natural thing to do. And it's really supported our county for several many years, whether they want to okay. admit it or not in the Board of Supervisors. It really has been the supporting factor in our county and in Humboldt County as well.
1: Um, I want to get back to Swami Select uh, really fast. Your website, swamiselect.com, uh, also says through our commitment to responsible regenerative methods, we provide conscious connoisseurs premium flowers for medicinal and inspirational use Can you tell us more about your operation what do re- responsible regenerative methods mean to you and why are such methods an important aspect of a cannabis cultivation operation today
2: well uh, the key concept for regenerative farming is the idea that the soil is alive right and you want to do everything to not only keep the soil alive but enhance its, its living parts And so uh, modern industrial agriculture uses a lot of uh, chemistry, a lot of things derived from petroleum. And most of those uh, uh, nutrient ingredients are delivered to the plants in kind of a form as a salt. And over time, the salt uh, collects and eventually makes the soil less and less fertile. And the idea with regenerative farming is that we're adding ingredients into the soil that stimulate the life within the soil and regenerate the fertility of the soil. And that means we go down to the the microscopic level. And uh, what we know, what we understand out in the last 10 or 50, 20 years or so is that the living soil is composed of many different uh, living elements, starting with bacteria. And in the lowest depths of the soil, maybe uh, three or four feet down, that's where most of the bacteria live and they're anaerobic. They kind of live without so much oxygen. But the bacterial life, is really important for the living soil. And in addition to that, there's also the fungal life. And the balance between the bacterial life and the fungal life has to do also with how big your plants, the fertility of the soil. And so the idea is that with living soil, we're feeding the soil and, and, and stimulating the life within the soil, and that then feeds the plant. And we like to take the example of a forest, right? no one actually waters the forest no one turns it over and tills and plows the soil and no one actually feeds the forest that's what's happening there is what's called the law of return so in a forest everything is dropping down the leaves and the branches and so on and it falls on the ground and then all these animals come in and the deer poop and the and the bear dig it up and then the beetles and the worms and so on and they're all kind of, so whatever falls on the soil one year Then another year, another layer falls on top and another year, another. So after 20 or 30 years, what was on the top of the soil is now two feet down. But in that process, it's been transformed by all the microorganisms that are eating it and pooping it and shedding and dying and doing all these things. And they're all kind of interrelated in the soil food web. So if you take out any one of those ingredients or any one of those living entities, you kind of break the web. And so you have soil which gets less and less fertile. And the idea with regenerative is we try and work with closed loops. And a closed loop is something like, say, I I have a pond. And so I use the pond water to irrigate my plant. And then there are fish in the pond that are making the plant, the water in the pond, actually more more nutrient loaded. And so we also use uh, the the ashes and, and, and charcoal from our wood stove. And uh, we use the leaves uh, and we make the leaves in a pile and they get fungal growth in the leaves and we use the, the fallen branches and we wood chip those and those become an integral part of our soil amendment. We have a compost pile where we take you know, all our vegetable scraps and stuff that we grow in our own garden and other stuff, of course, we get from friends close by and so on, other gardens. And that and nat- naturally creates a compost, which is uh, from locally derived sources. And we have a worm bin and so on. And all these things are closed loops that we keep feeding, and then they feed us, and then we feed the garden with them. Even the, the scraps from the cannabis, when we, when we finished harvest, we wood chip. The branches and the stems and all that goes in back into the garden and the leaves and the plants, they all go into the compost. So there's a whole thing where you you keep the cycles going and you try and source as much of your material you can as your nutrients hyperlocally, as we call it, from your nearest neighbors. And for example, we have a neighbor up the hill who's got alpacas. So we use a lot of alpaca poop. Uh, in our garden, and so on. So that's the whole idea with we're regenerative. We're, we're making the soil more fertile and and more able to uh, grow things than it would if we just kept using chemical nutrients, which would eventually uh, make the soil less and less fertile. So it's really being in harmony with nature and paying attention to what you're doing and using things as local as possible.
1: On the Swami Select website, there's a place where it says, Our Allies, and it features six organizations and events. It's rare that a business focuses on something like that. Why was it important for you to identify your regional allies?
3: Yeah, cannabis is wonderful that way. It's really a community event, you know. Before it was legal, it used to be that, you know, all of us, you know, Black market growers, whatever you want to call it, traditional um, traditional growers, right? Um, we would share ideas. Everybody would meet at little you know markets around the county and talk about things. Or you'd run into somebody and you'd share ideas. So it's always been about sharing. And a lot of those allies that are on there, I mean, I know one of them is MCA, the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, which is a very important organization up here that deals. Um, with really communicating with our local and our state government to further rights for cannabis growers and to help us survive, really. So we owe a lot to them. Um, and and then some of the others are uh, companies that actually certify our cannabis growing, I believe, Dragonfly Earth Medicine is there, as well as Clean Green Certified. And actually, very soon, we're about to get our OCAL certification as well, which is from the California state, and that's the closest thing, because as you probably know, we can't we can't say that our cannabis is organic because the feds own that word, and until it is actually federally legal, we can't say that. So the closest thing is this thing that California's come up with called OCal for a certification process. Um, what other things are up there on our page? I can't remember exactly which other ones do we claim?
2: Origins um, Council. Oh,
3: origins Council. Yeah, yep, that's the MCA
2: there. is the latest iteration of a series of trade organizations representing cannabis in Mendocino County. There's also one in Humboldt County. There's one in uh, in Nevada County and Sonoma County and Big Sur and, Mendoc- and uh, um, Santa Cruz County and so on and, and Trinity County. And these are trade organizations representing the craft farmers. And uh, so Nikki and I were uh, very much a part of the very first of those in Mendocino County through various iterations and now founders uh, also of MCA. And then the other one is Origins Council, and Origin Council takes a representative from each of those other uh, trade organizations that I mentioned, and they have a regional council, and then the Origins Council speaks for all the craft Uh, heritage uh, organic farmers of California and represents them in the uh, state legislature and county legislatures. And now we've also, Origins Council has also joined six other state uh, trade organizations to uh, lobby on a federal level. So I'm one of the founding board members of Origins Council. Uh, The director is Jeanine Coleman, and she's done a tremendous job. And these are ways that the farmers have gotten together to speak up and, and they stand for more than uh, 900 uh, farmers around California. And uh, it's a way to communicate with each other and um, address the issues and also to deal directly with state and, and county legislators.
3: And I think that the Mendocino Producers Guild is also up there, MPG, which oh. is a very important organization um, because we okay. we really are here to help each other. This isn't like, I mean, I guess you could say we're in competition for shelf space, but we also really want to see as many of us survive as we can. You know, the craft farmers from up here in the Emerald Triangle are literally dropping like flies these days. It's just gotten too expensive, too rules, regulations, and permits, and people are quitting.
1: I I got to tell you, so with
3: MPG, we do things. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say that that's, that's the community spirit that, that, that I know from the old can, that old, the original cannabis paradigm, yeah. we, we are up against another break. So we got to put another, okay. sh- uh, another segment in the roach tray, but we'll fire up this last one in just a second. Don't yeah. worry.
0: Time to roll out for the people that let us have present hang loose. We're coming right back.
1: And we're back for the final segment with Nikki and Swami. Um, you know, there are a plethora of taxes, rules and regulations that are often changing making operating any cannabis business challenging. And of course, each state is different uh, and, and it makes it hard to even make a profit. In, in for some people I talk to, how would you characterize California's current cannabis laws relating to the cannabis industry? What, what, what impact have they had on the pre-legalization uh, legacy cannabis community that predated all of this?
3: It's destroying us. Basically, yeah. um, they're trying to destroy us, one would have to say we if you call look them at
2: extinction it. events every three to six months, they come out with new rules and regulations. And as a result, a whole bunch more farmers just decide to drop out. And mind you, these are farmers who've been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years and put all of their profits, all their money into developing their homestead. And and trying to produce their brand and so on. And now they just have to sort of give it up. And it means also that their land is now almost valueless, right? Because even if you have a, a cannabis permit to grow on it, there's no market for it at the moment. So, um, yeah, it's really a difficult moment. And you have to understand that the, the, what I like to say is it's more illegal than ever because now instead of just the sheriff and maybe a couple other uh, government groups looking for you, it's every government agency, every department, fish and wildlife, water board, uh, environmental, sanitation, all these things, and they all have inspectors, and they all have fees, and they all have regulations, and so on. And so uh, it's really like, and all of those regulations are more extreme and more limiting than for any other business, right? right. And right. so it's really really... Uh, Crazy out there, they're really still punishing us in so many ways.
1: It kind of seems yeah,
3: like, but, but we are. Right. I,
1: I was just gonna say, it kind of seems like it's legalization on the prohibitionist terms.
3: Huh. Yes, 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 that's exactly. a good way to put it. That's so true. Yeah, no, it's well, it's, I call it as what as I said, penalization
2: through legalization and persecution through regulation. Hmm. What are you gonna say, Nikki?
3: It's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. Um, I I, my personal feeling is, is that the government all along wanted to just narrow it down to a few businesses because it's a lot easier for them to deal with it. Absolutely. Like they have with most companies, you know, there's some monopolies that run it. But, you know, we still see it as, you know, more like the wine industry or the beer industry where there will be um, those giant mega companies that have come in and are wiping people out right now with their $15 retail priced eights on the market. But, you know, let's face it at a certain point, there's going to be the connoisseur that really insists on something that is more expensive and better grown. And they just know it's more pure on every level. So that's what us craft farmers are holding out for. Yeah. The boutique belief. wineries, their boutique yeah.
2: wineries, their micro breweries and so on. And they cater to the high end client who who wants to make sure that the cannabis has been grown with personal care and everything's been done to make it as pure and as, as uh, not just potent, but also uh, inspiring and, and really a wonderful smoking experience or however you take it, that it's really not just the effects, but it's also the enjoyment of of using the product.
1: Right, right.
3: So, yeah, we're determined. We
1: have two minutes uh, left for this conversation. Your cannabis has won awards and you are respected members of the Global Cannabis Community Is there anything you would like people to know about Swami select that we haven't covered so far?
3: Uh, Yeah. Keep your eyes open. We'll be having our new crop coming out probably in January, the new harvest we're about to harvest. Um, We're also starting something called club Swami coming up in the new year. And that's going to be a way for people to get uh, Swami select delivered directly to their house when they become a member and they will be getting cultivars that will not go to regular retail stores and other swag and opportunities and all kinds of things that go with it. Um, we're probably going to do some pre-rolls next year, too. So there's lots of new stuff coming up that we're looking forward to. And one other
2: thing that uh, we want to emphasize also is one of our main purposes is education. Uh, Swami Select is what we call a social purpose corporation. And we're very much involved in raising people's awareness about cannabis, both for its medicinal and it's also its its spiritual and inspirational qualities, right? And so it's one of the great things about cannabis is it has more uses than any other plant on the whole planet and more ways that it can benefit humanity. And we just want to keep educating people about that. It's not just about smoking, it's about the whole range of way cannabis can be ingested. And also the way cannabis involves with the community and with the nature that it's around. And it's also about raising awareness of that we are all part of this human group this human society together, which we share with the plants and the animals on the planet. And not, you know, all the insects and the bugs and everything. And so we need to be all together and share this. And, and just, you know, may peace okay. prevail.
3: Amen.
1: Nikki Lestretto and Swami Chaitanya of swamisselect.com. Thank you both for taking time out today to share your wisdom, wisdom and experience. I'm, It's just such a blessing to finally talk to you guys.
3: Oh, thanks. Thank Vivian.
2: Likewise. Glad finally connected. And uh, good luck with all your other endeavors.
1: Thank you. Hempy Trails. And that concludes this installment <laughs> of Hamper present on Cannabis
2: Radio. When it comes to prohibition, you've got the right
1: not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice. So find your voice and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. See you next week.